morning, I would like you for the few minutes that we have here together, um, if you have a Bible, I would like you to turn to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Wow, I love missions and I love missionaries and I, I'm so honored to, to partner with them and so thank you for doing that. 1 Kings chapter 18. Even before we begin here, I need to say something. Um, I feel it's important that I give this little bit of a disclaimer. Every time I... I bring a message, I I really seek the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me? And there are times, not many, but there are times where I say, Lord, I don't really understand how this works. And and I'm not really sure why you want me to preach this. But it's one of the most important things that I do, and that is to remain sensitive to what the Lord is calling me to preach. And so in the natural, I look at times and I go, what does that have to do with having a missionary here what we just came off of in a, in, a, in, a, in a series, what we're going into. And yet for this week and next week, he's calling me to preach on a particular text. And so therefore, I have to believe that God desires to speak to many people through these messages and that he wants to do a, a work in us that, uh, that only he can do. So... I want to pray with you one more time. Lord, as we go into your word, I ask that you will open our hearts and our minds. I pray, Jesus, that what you have given me to share from your word would would penetrate our hearts and would do its work within us. Your word is powerful. It's life-changing. And so we give ourselves to you. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Idol worship. Idol worship. In Bible times and today, um, did not and does not simply mean worshiping an object or a statue made by human hands, idol worship. Idol worship happens when anyone places their hope or their trust or their identity in someone or something other than Jehovah God. That's idol worship. Idol worship happens when our devotion to anyone or anything surpasses our devotion to him. It's very easy to say, oh man, I've never worshipped an idol, and that may be true in one sense. You may have never had a, a piece of porcelain statue or wooden carved statue in the corner of your home where you burn incense to or, or throw a little bit of food in front of. I remember there, I was a boy in the, in the early 1970s and, and a friend of mine, his father was in the service and he brought home a Buddha and they, they, they put umbrellas in it. They put it in the corner, they would put umbrellas in his head and I thought, they're idol worshipers. Well, I'm not in favor of having Buddhas with umbrellas in their head in your home if you do get rid of it. I'm simply saying that if we think that idol worship is just some kind of object in the corner and and that we bow down to it or burn incense to it, that that is idol worship, then we've actually got it wrong because as as, as we see here that that idol worship is, is, is when we place our hope or our trust or we find our identity in someone other than God. 
Idol worship is when our devotion for anything or anyone surpasses our devotion to him. And I have to tell you, I stand here this morning and say, in, 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 the, in the sense of the, the, the Bible definition of it, when we see in the Ten Commandments, the first two really pointed at this. Number one, that you will have no other gods before me, God said. And number two, we're not to make any image that is greater or that, that, that receives our worship other than God. And, and again, I have been guilty at times in my life where my devotion to something or even someone has at times surpassed my devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in those times, we have to step back and say, all right, Lord, what do you want to do in me? Lord, I, 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 I repent of that to you. The time of First Kings chapter 18 was about 900 years before Christ, long time. Nine centuries before Christ, there was a tyrant named Ahab who was on the throne of ancient Israel. He was a tyrant king. He is, all of the kings of Israel were bad, but he was in a class by himself. And if you think that Ahab was bad, his wife, her name was Jezebel, was in many ways even worse. This is the man who sat on the throne of ancient Israel. And the Jewish people the Jewish people who once served Jehovah God had turned almost entirely to idol worship. It was just a few hundred years before that God had delivered the people of Israel or the Jewish people out of bondage in Egypt and brought them out of all of that idol worship and then spent 40 years of them in the wilderness, God getting all of the idol worship out of them. But now incrementally, and these things often happen incrementally, they were beginning to worship the pagan gods, the false gods of the people the peoples around them. They, they were specifically at this time and for a long period of time, they were specifically worshiping a collection of fertility gods known as Baal or Baals. They were, they were fertility gods and, and they, they put them together and they called this god, false god, Baal. Because of their rejection of him, because of the Jewish people's rejection of him in the nation of Israel, because they rejected him, God brought, God brought judgment upon Israel with a three-year drought. Now, I think all of us have been uh, uh, around long enough to maybe remember a dry season or a dry year, but I want you to imagine this for a moment, what it would be like to have absolutely no rain, no precipitation. I know it's hard to imagine right now but have absolutely no precipitation, not for one year or two years, but three years, no rain whatsoever. They didn't get snow in this area, but there is no rain for three years. You can imagine how devastating that would be. People were dying. In fact, in the chapter previous to chapter 18, back in 17, there's the story of a woman and her son who were, who were miraculously saved from starvation by the power of God. That's how dire these times were. For a thousand years, absolutely no rain. So times were perilous, but God was not done with his people. Let me say that again. In perilous times, God is not done with his people. 
He still has a plan. And I, and I want that to resonate with some of you because right now, some of you may be going through some really, really hard times and you're wondering why it's happening. Let me tell you something. God is not done with you. He still has a plan for you and he still has a purpose for you. God has a plan in perilous times and he had a plan here. God spoke to a man named Elijah and in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, it reads this way, After a long time, in the third year, that is the third year of this drought, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab the king, and I will send rain on the land. That's God's mercy. So Elijah went and presented himself to Ahab, now, this famine was extremely severe, it says, in Samaria. Jump down, if you have your Bibles in front of you, jump down to verse 16. It reads this way. Ahab went to meet Elijah. The king goes to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah the prophet, Ahab said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your fa father's family have made trouble. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and you have followed the Baals. Elijah was essentially telling the king that what is happening in our nation is because of uh, the leadership that you have given. And these, this judgment is coming because you have followed, you as the king, you and your family have followed these foul and filthy false gods. He says, you're the troubler of Israel, Elijah said. Verse 19, Elijah said this, Summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Now I want you to look very carefully at verse 21. Verse 21 is key. It's, it's the most, I think, the, the, the key verse in this entire text. It says this, Elijah went before the people and he said, Said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Through Elijah, God was giving these people an ultimatum. Elijah, empowered, directed by God, said, You're wavering between these two opinions. I, I, I paraphrase, you're, you're wanting it both ways. If God, if Jehovah is God, then follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But you choose. You know, I, 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 grew up on a, I grew up on a cattle ranch, and there was an expression that I heard uh, along. You can't, you can't ride the fence for very long before you come to a fence post. <laughs> In other words, you can't have it both ways before you come to a point of decision when you have to choose one side or another. And that's what Elijah, directed by God, was saying. He said, he said you, you're, you're wavering between two. He's talking to these people. He says, you, you, you want it both ways. You want God's way and you want your way or the false God's way, but you can't have both. If Jehovah is truly God, then follow him. Take him seriously. But if Baal is God, then follow him, but you choose. He gave them this ultimatum, and it was also a warning. 
He gave them the opportunity to choose. Now, verse 21, you see it there in your hands, you see it on the screen. Verse 21 is really um, a, a, a word of grace as well. And I think we'll understand this as we get a little bit further into the story. But this is grace. This is God through his prophet Elijah saying, I'm giving you one more opportunity. I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you the opportunity to choose righteousness or to reject it. He says, you choose. The end of verse 21 reads this way, but the people said nothing. Man, these guys. You know, right? If, if you, if, they, they don't want to say one way or the other, so they say nothing. They're riding the fence. <laughs> They're just trying, yeah, we're, we're going to have it both ways. They wouldn't come down on one side or the other. The people, it says, said nothing. So in verses 22 and following, Elijah gave these instructions. Some of you, this is a familiar story. Elijah said to them, I am the, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So I want you to understand this. On top of this mountain, it's actually more than this because there's the prophets or the false prophets of Asherah as well. That was another fertility god uh, or goddess. Uh, and and it, it too was just absolutely wicked. Um, but, but we know that the odds were at least four, at the very least, 450 to one. That's, that's vastly outnumbered. Elijah said, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, two, two cattle. Uh, let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but don't set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. In other words, we're going to prepare two sacrifices. Then you call on the name of the Lord your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. So he's setting up this, this, this showdown, this showdown of deities, if you will. I mean, it's, it's one of the classic showdowns in all of human history. And it says this, then all the people say, said, what you say is good. In other words, we agree to it. Verse 25 reads this way, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of the Lord your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them, and they prepared it. They cut it up, they, they placed it on the fire. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered and they danced around the altar that they had made. Now, I want you just to imagine this in your minds. It says that they did this early in the morning until about noon. So for about six hours, from 6 a.m. to noon, they, they put this thing on here, and they're dancing around, and they're shouting, and they're calling out, Baal, answer us. It must have been something to see. 450 men working themselves into a frenzy, calling out, but no one answered says. Verse 27. At verse 27, um, let me just say this. Verse 27 is like one of my, um, one of my favorite, it's kind of, kind of, kind of, it's different. I'm warning you, it's different, but it's one of my favorite little lines in the entire uh, Old Testament. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, you, you have to understand, I, when, I, I, someday I'm going to meet Elijah. Someday I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to live just down the street from each other. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, Elijah, I like you, man. It says he, be, noon, it's high noon. Elijah began to taunt them. Here's what he said. Shout, shout louder. <laughs> Surely he is a God. 
Perhaps he is, is deep in thought, or he's busy, or he's away traveling. Maybe, maybe your God is sleeping and he needs to be awakened. I like Elijah. I like Elijah because you know what? Any day that you can taunt somebody who follows a false God is a pretty good day. And he does. He does. Uh, I need to add this as well. I'm not making this up. Don't read it now, but you can read it later. Some Bible translations also add there when it says that perhaps he is busy. Some some of you know where I'm going. Some, Some translations, actually a number of translations of the Bible say that maybe their God was off in a uh, squatty potty, uh, 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 the outhouse. He's mocking them and he says, you know what, maybe uh, maybe your God is relieving himself. You're going, pastor, hey, it's in the Bible, just look at it, right? So he's taunting them. He is, he's reducing them. They're, they're, he's, he's, he's making, their, making fun of their God and revealing their false God for what it really is. It's nothing. Shout louder, he said. Tell, wake him up. Maybe he, what, whatever he's doing, get his attention. Go ahead and shout a little bit. It's high noon. Verse 28. So they shouted louder. They cranked it up and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. That simply means that from morning until evening, these 450 pagan prophets of Baal cried out to a non-existent deity. They summoned someone who was unsummable, who could not be called. That's not even a word. He called on someone who could not answer. They screamed and they flailed about to the point of exhaustion. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see this scene someday replayed when I get to heaven. But I'm thinking that these guys were absolutely spent. Their voices, I'm sure, were shredded after calling out to this non-existent God in a futile attempt, in futile attempts to get their God's, false God's attention. The Bible says they cut their bodies until their blood ran into the dirt of Mount Carmel. Horrible to see. But other than Elijah's taunting at high noon, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Silence. Wouldn't you like to see this? And then it was Elijah's turn. Now this is a guy who taunted a little while ago. I'm thinking Elijah had kind of a look on his face. I don't know, it doesn't say, but I'm thinking he had kind of a like, watch this, boys. It was Elijah's turn. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Now he, he, he pays homage to really, he, he, there's, a, there's a looking back. 
Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. These, these, th this, this, was, this was looking back to what had happened when the people of Israel had after, at the end of the 40 years of, of uh, sojourning in the wilderness, how they crossed over the, uh, the Jordan River into the promised land and they built an altar on the, on the far side of the, uh, of, of the, of the Jordan River uh, an altar with 12 stones representing. And so what, what is he doing? He's saying, this is, this is the God who did it then and he's gonna do it now. He took 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seas of, of sea, that's a lot. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid the, 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 the cut up bull on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down, the, uh, down, uh, down around the altar and even filled the trench. Why did he do this? Elijah is essentially making it impossible for this, this, uh, this sacrifice to be lit on fire. He's making it impossible. Earlier we sang, God does impossible things. He is making it impossible for any of this to burn because he's soaking it in many, many, many gallons of water. Verse 36. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Now remember just a moment ago, I told you that these pagan prophets... These pagan prophets had spent most of the day from early in the morning until evening, they had spent hours pleading to a God who could not hear. And by the way, I timed this. Elijah's prayer, Elijah's prayer that you see before you, Elijah's prayer took only about 20 seconds. Uh, his, his prayer, I am very sure, his prayer involved no flailing about, no bloodletting, no begging, no pleading, no screaming, just a 20-second prayer. It was almost anticlimactic. These guys are looking around. Now, just imagine this scene. These guys are the 450 prophets of Baal, they're, they're exhausted, but they're watching. And they hear this man make a 20-second prayer. The dramatic response is God who gave the drama, not Elijah. In dramatic response, verse 39 reads this way, the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, 
and also licked up the water in the trench. I want you to imagine this scene. Maybe it was, I don't know what it was, if it was a God-directed meteor perfectly timed at the end of that 20-second prayer. I don't know if it was a bolt of lightning. I don't know if God just says, you know what, we're going to do something we've never done before and never do again. We're just going to drop a ball of fire out out of heaven. But it says fire fell from heaven and it hit the altar The Bible says it struck it and in moments it consumed, not just kind of lit on fire. It says it consumed, it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stone. You know how hard it is to burn stone? It says it burned up the dirt. Try lighting dirt on fire. Good luck on that. It says, it says, in moments it consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dirt, and the water. Boom, it was just like that. Man, it must have been powerful. Short time earlier, a short time earlier, these 450 prophets of Baal, um, I, I believe they, they were standing there with sneers on their faces. And, and their arms folded and arrogance in their eyes. I think that they were just like, yeah, what are you going to do? There's 450 of us. There's one of you. We have all of these gods and, 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 and you give a 20-second prayer. But now, just seconds later, but now, <laughs> I don't know how long that fireball took, but I think it was just like, whoof, sucked all the oxygen out. Now those 450 prophets of Baal are standing around a smoking hole in the ground. Their mouths are hanging open, their ears are ringing, their eyebrows are singed, and their knees are knocking. Oh, what a sight it must have been. How many want to see that with me someday? I'll tell you what, I'll be on the front row, I'll bring the popcorn, we'll see you there. It's going to be powerful. It was powerful. Verse 39 reads this way. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. When all the people saw this, it says they fell prostrate. It means they fell on the ground and they cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. I believe they kept praying it or saying it, declaring it. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. Suddenly they believed. Suddenly they believed. They acknowledged the power of the one true God. They also understood how they had foolishly embraced and elevated something that had no power and no presence and no authority whatsoever. In in, in the matter of moments, they realized Jehovah is God and the God that we profess, the God that we declare, the God that we have propagated is powerless. But their belief came too late. The warning that God had given earlier through Elijah, the, the warning that that had come earlier, much earlier that day in verse 21, when Elijah had said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal is God, follow him. That warning, that warning had been ignored. And they paid for it with their lives. 
God in his mercy, you think of mercy or grace as a New Testament concept. It's not. It's, an old, it's, a, it's a God concept. It's a part of his nature. God was giving them an opportunity for repentance. God was saying, you can't waver between the two opinions. Serve me or serve it, serve it but you cannot serve both. It was too late. It was too late. They acknowledged They acknowledged with their mouths, and I believe with their hearts and with their minds, they acknowledged that Jehovah is God, but it was too late. Because verse 40 of 1 Kings chapter 18 records how every one of the 450 prophets of Baal were put to the sword that day. They never saw another sunrise. God's judgment came. God's warning had come. But they said nothing. Instead, they called, continued to call upon their false gods, and they never lived to see another day. That, that, that challenge, verse 21, the verse that you hold in your hands or the verse that you see in front of you, the one about wavering between following God and following something that is empty and ultimately powerless, is still true today. Studying this in recent weeks, I've not been able to get this out of my mind, and, and, and that's why it's, it's a little bit challenging to bring it to you because some of you may be thinking, what, what, is it, what does it have to do with me? It, it has so much to do with us because, because the same ultimatum that God gave then, God still gives today, and that is we cannot serve both God and idols. Remember how I said earlier that that idol worship is, is not simply an object in the corner to which we bow down or burn incense to. An idol is anything that we raise above God. An idol is anything that we find our identity more than Him. It's subtle, it's easy, it's, it's easy to overlook, and, and yet how many times do we, how many times do we look under a, a place of stress or pressure, who do you run to or what do you run to? And that can be a God, a false God, an idol. When we find ourselves in great need, maybe financial, maybe emotional, maybe physical, to whom do we run to first? The answer may be very revealing and telling. When someone says, who are you? And it takes you five minutes to get to where the point where you say, well, I'm, I'm also a Christian. Instead, we find our identity in any other number of things. We say, well, I'm a part of this group, or I'm a part of that group, or I'm of this ethnicity, or I'm of, I'm of uh, this group organization or I'm of this denomination, I'm of this political party, I'm of this nationality. And finally we get around to the point that yes, I'm also a follower of Christ. But where do we find our identity? And if we find the majority of our identity in anyone or anything beyond him, then we are in danger of of idol worship. 
oh man, this, this is new stuff to me. I, I, th- this, is, this, is, this is a little bit disturbing because you're saying that I may be worshiping a false god, not in the sense of you can put a name to it, but where have you given your trust? I hear this frequently. I, I, I've heard many, many times people saying, well, I would love to do this, or I know that this is wrong, but I can't afford to do what God has called me to do. Or I, I, I know, that, I know that, th- that this is the right way to go, but, but it's just not possible financially at this point. Well, then I, I think that there's a possibility that those finances may be an idol. Oh, Pastor, you're, this is so hard. Yeah, it is. It's extremely hard. It's hard to hear and it's hard to, to share. And yet, I believe that the message that was given to those people back then is still true today. If God has said it, then let's do it. But we have a choice. The last number of weeks, for three weeks there, we were looking at where Jesus said, if you love me, then follow my commands. Or on other occasions, he said, if you say you love me, then do what I say. So often we say we love God, but we fail to do what he calls us to do. I hear this, this story, I, Phil, Denise, how difficult it must have been 10 years or so ago when God began dealing in their heart a change of career, two daughters still at home. And yet you did what God called you to do. That's difficult. But here's the thing. It's not just missionaries. It's every one of us. What is God calling you to do? And I'm saying do it. Because if you put yourself first or anything else or anyone else, and then we're wavering between two opinions. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that one day, by the way, every knee will bow. It says this in Philippians, that every knee will bow and every mouth, every tongue, some translations say will acknowledge, others say will confess. But it says that one day, every person who's ever lived will bow down and acknowledge that he is God. Every person, every person you know. Every person, without exception, who's ever lived or ever will live, will declare Jesus Christ is Lord. But for some, for many, sadly, it will be too late. We'll be at a point of judgment. And they, like 450 prophets of Baal, will fall prostrate and they will say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But it will be too late. I say that with no delight. I say it with great sadness. I, I, I say it because it's, it's, it, it moves me. What were the numbers? One and a half, two and a half percent of people? Less than two and a half percent of people in Ukraine. By the way, there are many people here who can trace their family back to Ukraine. 
Germans from Russia, right? That was, that's, that was Ukraine. Now we're sending missionaries there. Glory to God. But, but, but less than 2.5% will call, have, have, a, have an understanding that Jesus Christ, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And yet one day every person will acknowledge that he is Lord, that he is God. This morning, there's only so much that I can do, but the Holy Spirit does infinitely more. And perhaps even in this time, the Holy Spirit has pointed out something, shined his light on some area of our life. And I, I have to tell you that, that even in preparing this, I've had to ask some hard questions and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that has received an undue amount of devotion? Is there anything, you know, I've had to do some searching. Is there anything that, 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 that you're calling me to do that I'm not doing because I want to do my own thing? Lord, I don't want to be like some long ago prophets of Baal who incrementally did their own thing rather than God's thing. So in these closing moments of this service, I want us to do some searching. I'm going to ask our musicians to come. Would you bow your heads, please? And, um, and they're going to lead us in a song. And uh, again, as, as we've done in recent weeks, um, we're going to have a, a time of prayer. And, and you, you can feel free to leave when you, you need to. But I want you to make an altar where, right where you are, or you can come forward to these altars. By the way, um, there was an altar that was made, you heard it there, where he sacrificed to the living God, and uh, it was consumed. It was consumed. It was eaten up. It was destroyed. It left a smoking hole in the ground. I, I can't help but wonder if, and we call this an altar area. It's not 12 stones, it's concrete and carpet. Um, but uh, uh, we can make an altar right where we are. But there, there may be some, something that you need to place on an altar in your heart, in your mind, with your words. And uh, you need to put it there and you need to say, Lord, burn it up. Burn it up. Just burn it up. I give it to you. Burn it up. Consume it. Every bit of it. I want, I want to honor you. I want to live for you. I want to serve you. I want to do what you call me to do. I'd like you to stand. Everyone, if you can, please physically stand. Would you do so? Um, in a moment, I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, feel free. If you need to go, by all means, go. I know there are a number of things that are happening this afternoon with life groups and, and perhaps some other things that you have planned. Um, but that, that will wait. What's more important right now, before we get off and doing other things that will then distract us from what God is dealing with our hearts right now. I want you to do that. So would you make an altar right where you are? Again, these altars area, this front here is going to be open, and you can certainly come and pray and spend as much time as you'd like. Let's give ourselves again to the Lord. God has some, as I mentioned earlier, God has some tremendous plans for you. He really does. Amazing plans, but it's going to happen in many cases, if it, if it hasn't happened, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen when we say, Lord, I give it all to you. I give it all to you. Burn it up. Burn it up. I'm not going to waver between two opinions.
anymore. I know what you've called me to do. I know what is right from your word. I'm going to walk in it. And so from this day forward, no false gods, no idols, you alone. Lord Jesus, now as we make our way out of this building or as we go to a place of prayer, I thank you for your presence and for your power and for speaking to us out of 1 Kings chapter 18. Thank you for that man that you used many years ago to speak to a nation. Thank you for today, Lord, you've spoken to us. So help us walk in your way as we make those decisions, those choices, and it is a choice to follow you or to reject you. We pray this as we leave this place in the moments ahead or in the hours ahead. May we go in your power and in your strength and in your anointing and in your purity and in your holiness. May others see you in us. Help us to make a difference in our world. Or there's a world out there that one day every person is going to confess. But Lord, in the meantime, they still have an opportunity. Help us, Lord, to take the saving message of Jesus Christ around this region and around the world. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you this morning. For God so
Spread.